What up, Cavs Nation, and welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your co-host for the day, I guess, Jimmy Watkins, filling in for Ethan Sands, who is taking a well-earned all-star break vacation. Joining us, as always, is Cleveland.com Cavs beat reporter, uh, semi-frequent low-post contributor now. I've seen seen this guy on the low-post a couple times this year, and probably a guy who could use a vacation himself, Chris Fedor. How are you doing, Chris? Jimmy, I'm great, man. What's up? Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I think we all are. I think we're all glad. For some reason, the NBA <laughs> does all-star breaks two-thirds of the way into the season instead of at yeah. the midway point. It's neither here nor there, but it just makes it feel longer. Um, the Cavs under the break 36-17. and 17. They are second place in the East, and deep breath, they have won 10 of their last 11, 18 of their last 20, and 23 of their last 28. After last night's 108-105 win over the Chicago Bulls, a nice win. National TV come back down 17. Probably could feel a little bit of the malaise there heading into the All-Star break with that and the Sixers game. Um, but, but big picture here, let's let's zoom out. It seems I mean this, mm-hmm. this it seems like this whole season is about atoning what happened, for, atoning for what happened last spring. They lose to the Knicks ugly. Yeah. It hangs over the off season. They clearly hung over the slow start that they had. Uh, they started 13 and 12 before Mobley and Garland got her. I think even now, as they round into form as one of the best teams in the NBA, at least on paper, it's kind of still coloring people's perception. So I want to start there, Chris. The first 53 games that you've seen, how much of that sample has convinced you that the Cavs have solved what, what ailed them in the postseason last year? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on who they're going to face when it comes to the postseason, Jimmy, because the postseason is all about matchups. It's all about exploiting weaknesses and highlighting strengths. But in saying all of that, this is a better team. This is a more balanced team. This is a more diverse offense. This is a more dynamic defense. This is a deeper team, too. And it's a team that can actually shoot the ball and make opponents pay for paying too much attention to Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. I just think that since they made the moves that they made in the offseason, they have been better equipped to be a team that can get out of the first round and potentially make a deep playoff run. And again, a lot of that is going to be tied into who do they play in round one? If they get out of round one, who do they play in round two? But the changes that they made both stylistically and from a personnel standpoint have led, I think, to the team getting to this point where they are, where they also believe that they are capable of making a run in the postseason. I hear what you're saying. When I hear what you're saying, I think that they are maybe perhaps less matchup dependent now, right? Like they have more cards to play. The Sam Merrill card wasn't in the deck last year. The Max Struess card wasn't in the deck last year. I mean, That's Dean right. Wade was there, but he had the shoulder injury. I mean, he's, you could see, you've talked a lot about his how confidence was wrecked after the whole yes. Kevin Love buyout too. Right, right. So that's a defensive card. And if, if the three point shooting holds, I think he's shooting about 38% yep. on, on four attempts per game right now. That's a card you had in the deck. It unlocks different lineups, different styles. Um, it all adds up to right right now. It's been such a weird year because they sort of found their groove without two of their four best players. But again, they're yeah. they're one of the best teams in the NBA right now. So as before, I think the messaging from up top, from Kobe Altman on down, was all right. Correct that mistake last year. Get out of the yeah. first round, and beyond that, we'll see. But how how if at all 
should this recent stretch, I guess, alter that North Star a little bit? Should they be aiming higher now? I think everybody inside the organization, Jimmy, would say coming into this year, if we get out of the first round of the playoffs, that is a successful season and we don't have to make drastic changes in the offseason. If we lose in the first round of the playoffs again, and it's non-competitive, just like it was against the Knicks, where we led for 49 total minutes in those five games, then I think this organization would have looked at significant changes, both from a roster standpoint and from a coaching standpoint. Um, now, I think it's, look, players have talked about it recently. Like, they believe that they can compete at the highest level. They believe that they compete compete with the best of the best in the Eastern Conference, no matter who it is, whether you consider it Philadelphia, Boston, Milwaukee, uh, the New York Knicks, the Indiana Pacers, whoever. Um, and I think it's fine for the, the team to have those kinds of goals and aspire to be that kind of team where they can compete with the likes of Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia when full strength. Um, but But I just don't think it's a situation – where it's championship or bust for the front office, or it's um, beyond the second round or bust for the front office, to the point where that kind of loss would lead them into a different direction this offseason. And that doesn't mean that people in the front office don't believe that this group can make a deep playoff run. And it doesn't mean that people in this front office haven't looked at the way that they've played over the last six weeks and said, hey, Maybe we should aim a little bit higher. I think every organization is always going to aim high, but there's a realism attached to um, what what this group, I think, can accomplish, and it's not in the same window as Boston, Milwaukee, and they don't have to be um, playing by the same rules. They don't have to have the clock ticking as rapidly as some of those other teams. Um, so I think that's a long-winded way of saying like, yeah, the expectations have changed and they should change um, because they have elevated themselves into a different stratosphere in the Eastern Conference. But at the same time, if if they don't get um, to the conference finals or something along those lines, it doesn't mean that the front office is going to look at the season as a failure, if that makes sense. So I think that's true. I think you did a good job threading a, a, a nuanced needle there between man, we're really excited about what this Cavs team is right now and what it could be this yeah. spring. And, well, let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves here. This is still a young team that that struggled to find its footing in the playoffs last year. I think that's a good place for, that, for the front office to be, frankly. I think they're approaching it the right way. Here's the other dose of realism, though. They are not the only right. voice in the room, right? Like the they're Donovan not. Mitchell situation. I mean, right now, it's, I, I wrote about this a couple – last week or the week before, he looks about as locked in as you could possibly look as a guy who hasn't signed a contract extension yet, right? He's playing, he, when, when the mm -hmm. season was teetering, he could have very easily checked out and he did the complete opposite of that. He put them on his back and said, no, no, we're going to do this. And that's how they've gotten to the point they are here. They are now. But I think that Donovan, I mean, Donovan Mitchell, 27 year old superstar is thinking in his right. head right now, I've probably got one contract left one big contract left to sign in my prime. And yes. I've got to be pretty careful about where I choose to sign that contract. So when, when the Cavs, the Cavs are of course evaluating this with the thousand foot view of, well, Evan Mobley's so young, 
Darius Garland's so young, we, we still haven't even scratched the surface about what those guys could be yet. Donovan Mitchell's thinking, like, going into this playoffs, I need to see what I've you – know, he's probably going to be – he's kind of a gut check thing from his perspective. Like, okay, last year you get a pass, you're a young team. But this year, mm-hmm. now that we're doing – you know, we, we're in the kind of groove that we're in right now, I got to see if this can be a, a, a long-term destination. Like, can I win a championship here? That's right. – like, it's probably not fair for that to be part of the calculus with such a young team, but I think that is part of it heading into the spring here. I think it definitely is. I think Donovan Mitchell is honestly looking for a level of readiness from the rest of the roster to see if they're ready to compete at the level that he believes he is ready to compete at. And quite frankly, he is ready for that level. Um, He's playing like an MVP candidate. He's an Eastern Conference All-Star once again. He is one of the premier players in the entire NBA. Like, he is ready to compete for championships. And I think he is going to look and see, is Darius ready? Does he carry himself that way? Does he have those kinds of habits? Is Evan Mobley ready? Is he going to be ready? And I think it's fair for somebody like Donovan to look at it that way. I think it's part of the reason why the Cavs went out and targeted Max Struess specifically and George Niang specifically and Tristan Thompson, bringing him back this offseason. Those three guys that the Cavs brought in this offseason have more playoff experience than anybody else on this roster. And Donovan's fourth. So even Donovan is looking to Max Struess. Even Donovan's looking to George Niang and Tristan Thompson. Hey, like, what's it take to get to a place where I've never been in my career? But Donovan believes that he's ready to compete for championships. And the place where he plays next, wherever that is, and I don't know where it is. I don't even know if Donovan knows where it is. The only thing that I can say is that predicting the future in in the NBA is, is so fruitless because things change so quickly. The landscape can change so quickly. A conversation with another star player can happen and that can change. Or a team um, loses a superstar and it creates an opening. Whatever the case may be, um, you never say never in the NBA. The only thing that I can go by, Jimmy, is that Donovan Mitchell has acted and um, carried himself like a player who is all in on the Cleveland Cavaliers. He recruited Max Struess. He helped recruit George Niang. Um, he organized team workouts this past offseason. Um, he has kept them together through adversity six weeks without Darius Garland and Evan Mobley when everybody around the NBA completely rode off the Cavs. Donovan was there raising his level, empowering his teammates, getting them to buy in, galvanizing the group. He, Everything points to him being happy with a belief in this organization and with a belief in this team. But I think he needs to see it on the biggest stage. And if Darius comes up short, like he did against the Knicks, if Evan Mobley looks like he's not ready to compete for championships, the way that he looked in, in, in the series against the Knicks, if, if Jared Allen has another one of those series where it seems like the lights are too bright and he says those kinds of things following the series, then I think Donovan um, will start looking around the NBA and asking himself, okay, is there another spot that is ready for me and can help me reach the goals that ultimately I have? Because that's what it's about for Donovan. First and foremost, it is about winning. He hates losing. 
He hates that he has a reputation as a guy who cannot get out of the second round of the playoffs. He hates that he has a reputation as somebody who cannot defend in a playoff environment. He's heard all of that stuff. He's aware of all of that stuff. And there's only one way for him to change it at this point in his career. And he's not going to waste prime years um, on a team where he doesn't have a chance to win a championship. That being said, like every piece of evidence throughout the course of this season to this point points to the Cavs being a team that can be a legitimate competitor. He's given them an honest chance. Like they, they, I, I genuinely believe that if the Cavs have a good showing in the postseason, that they, that I mean, I'm not gonna, nothing's written in stone, but I think it, it will give them a chance, a legitimate chance to keep Donovan Mitchell long term. I, I, I think he's given them a fair yeah. shake here, which is all they can really ask for. Um, the hard and here's part the other about, thing too, Jimmy. I, I was in the locker room the other night, um, following a game against the Brooklyn Nets, and the the game against the Nets the other night coincided with the trade deadline. And something interesting happened at the trade deadline. Quentin Grimes, the guy who the Knicks would not trade for Donovan Mitchell, got traded. Okay? He got traded for Boyan Bogdanovich, who Donovan is very close to, and Alec Burks. And in the locker room in Brooklyn, Donovan was having conversations with a few different people. And I overheard him saying something along the lines of, guess I'm not good enough to be traded for Quentin Grimes, right? But those other guys were. And then Donovan said underneath his breath, but loud enough for some people close enough to him to hear him. He said, everything happens for a reason. I'm happy as hell where I'm at. Now, he might have known that I was within earshot and other reporters were within earshot, and it might have been a calculated thing. But again, like the evidence points to Donovan Mitchell being very, very happy. And there isn't a day where he's with the Cavs where he's sitting there saying, man, I was, I wish I was with the Knicks. Man, why didn't that trade go through and, and, and send me home instead of coming to Cleveland? Like, he just doesn't carry himself that way. He doesn't act that way either. And I thought that was a very, very interesting moment inside the Brooklyn Nets visitors locker room where Donovan was heard saying, Everything happens for a reason, and I'm happy as hell in Cleveland. He also doesn't strike me as the type of guy who who says or does those kinds of things, you know, with with like the with an intention of of making a public statement. You know, it seems like he kind of yeah. lives in the moment, and if he's saying those things, it's a genuine reaction. It's not like it's not like LeBron, right? Where LeBron <laughs> LeBron's strategic about it seems like. Every word he ty- every letter he types into his phone or says yeah. says to the media. Um, well, that's a juicy tale from the locker room right there. Uh, and I'm and I'm with you. I think he like again. He's giving the Cavs a fair shake. And I, I, frankly, the since you brought up the Knicks thing, I, I think the the Brunson Mitchell fit is is kind of complicated. Well, he, if if they wanted to yeah. do that, right? I mean, I know people have said that about Darius right. and Donovan, and the numbers bear out otherwise. But I think. Particularly the like Jalen Brunson is is it's such a heliocentric offense, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's Jalen Brunson making everything happen, and at, yeah. at a certain point, talent is talent. You always want more talent. The Knicks need more, even after they've made uh, some pretty savvy moves at the deadline. I just I don't know that it's even so much about the Knicks anymore as it is about the field and and the, the allure, Lakers. 
the Lakers, the Sixers who are going to have cap space and are desperate for yeah. to add another star with Joel Embiid, unforeseen right. team X who might you know shake up their roster in search of something else. Um, but again, again, the Cavs can only deal with what they have in the present. And Donovan Mitchell's yep. looking at what they have in the present. What they have in the present is on paper. I'll say again, on paper, a team that looks like a, a true capital C contender, whatever you, however you want to define that. Uh, right. Over the last last fifteen games, Cavs was as far back as the NBA.com filters will let you filter back. The Cavs are third in offensive rating. They're first in defensive rating. First in net rating. Net rating's fourteen point mm-hmm. four. That is that is. Dynasty Golden State Warriors level yeah. net rating right there. That is championship level yep. net rating. Of course, as you mentioned, the, no one cares about that right now. As I said at the top, <laughs> I think that the Cavs' perception has being still being colored by the playoff failure last year. Donovan Mitchell's reputation as an MVP candidate, as a star player in this league, I think is hindered by that. And maybe a few other playoff failures in Utah. So it, it really comes down to what are you going to do when 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 the spring comes around and it's a 16 game season it's an 82 game season to sure. get to a 16 game season as we often say so f- from that standpoint where do we think i mean i'll ask straight up we're, we're taking basically a straw poll here at the all-star break where do you think the Cavs stack yeah. up how many how many contenders capital c contenders do you think there are above them in the eastern conference see that's the thing jimmy that's the other variable the landscape in the eastern conference has changed drastically oh yeah Coming into this year, coming into this year, the belief was, in some order, the top three playoff spots were locked in, write those babies in pen, right? Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Take your pick. Look at Milwaukee right now. Okay, you can sit there and you can say, in a seven-game series, you've got to beat the combination of Dame and Giannis and all of that playoff experience four times in seven tries. Going to be very, very difficult. But, like, everybody just keeps waiting for Milwaukee to get it together. And it just hasn't happened at this point. They fired their coach. And Doc Rivers, as a tactician, leaves a lot to be desired. So, yeah, you can look at their talent level. But what version of Chris Middleton are they going to get? Okay? How is Doc Rivers going to handle a seven-game series with all of that pressure, all of those expectations? And what if it just never comes together for Milwaukee? The bottom line is, like, Milwaukee is not the indestructible force that a lot of people thought they were when the roster was constructed, and they've got big-time defensive limitations. Maybe that doesn't matter in a seven-game series. They fired their coach 43 games into what was a pretty decent season, in part because at the beginning of the season, they didn't like the defensive schemes that he was running. And then Doc Rivers came in and and did the same thing. He's trying the same stuff now. Right, because they have defensive limitations with the way that their roster is constructed because they traded for an offensive dynamo at the expense of one of the best on-ball perimeter defenders in the game. Um, So what I'm saying is, like, the Bucks aren't what a lot of people thought they were coming into this year. So there's a little vulnerability there with Milwaukee. Philadelphia is very vulnerable. The move to add Buddy Heald was brilliant. Tyrese Maxey has been great this year. He's probably going to win most improved player. He is an all-star. But Joel Embiid, if he's not there and he's not 100% healthy and effective or close to 100% healthy and effective, the 76ers aren't a contender with a capital C. Not without Joel Embiid. 
not without the version of Joel Embiid that was there at the beginning of the season when it looked like he was going to win his second straight MVP. Um, the Indiana Pacers can't defend anybody. The Knicks have a whole bunch of injuries, the kinds of injuries that they didn't really deal with last year. And the moves that they made were really, really smart at the trade deadline. And OG Ananobi, when he's in the lineup, New York is a very different team. But he's dealing with an elbow issue. Julius Randle's hurt. Who knows about Mitchell Robinson? Isaiah Hartenstein is dealing with something, too. So it just feels like there is more vulnerability in the Eastern Conference and more of an opening for the Cavs. Um, if they're willing to capitalize on that. And to this point, they have capitalized on it, and they're second in the Eastern Conference. And I think that's an important thing in this whole conversation, too. Because, you know, part of, of how we're going to view this Cavs team is going to be tied to who they match up with in the first round of the playoffs. Because I've talked about this a number of different times, Jimmy. I've written about this a number of different times. If the Cavs play anybody else, well, not anybody else, but a few other teams in the first round of the playoffs last year, we're not having the same kinds of conversations. It just so happens that they played against the Knicks in round one last year. The Knicks were a terrible matchup for them. The strengths of the Knicks were all the weaknesses of the Cavs. Bench scoring, rebounding, toughness, playoff experience. Like, all of that stuff showed up in that series against the Cavs. But if Cleveland would have played Brooklyn in round one, we're talking about a team that gets out of the first round of the playoffs, and it was a successful season. So with the Cavs being number two right now, they're avoiding the Knicks in the first round of the playoffs. When a lot of this season, it seemed like those two teams were going to be on a collision course. And if the Cavs get in round one, Orlando or Chicago, or Indiana, then the path for them taking a deeper playoff run um, is a lot different. And if they avoid Boston until potentially the conference finals, and I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but you have to look at it this way. If they avoid Boston potentially until the conference finals by being either the two seed or the three seed in the Eastern Conference, as opposed to in the four five position, then that gives the the Cavs a greater chance to make a deeper run here. Um, So depending on the first round matchup, I think the Cavs are a team that is going to advance out of the first round of the playoffs. And then with the vulnerabilities of the Bucks, the Knicks and the 76ers and the Miami Heat, who just, you know, they've got tiger blood and stuff like that, but they haven't been the same team either. Um, I think there's a legitimate chance that the Cavs get to the Eastern Conference Finals based on their seeding right now. I, th- I think that's totally fair. And I think what you're saying about matchups is totally true. I mean, that's playoff basketball. That's why it's so fun to watch. It's, it's when it's, I think when coaching gets magnified, it's when the schematics of the game get magnified. That's if you're a true basketball junkie, you, the, the, the NBA playoffs are, are where you thrive at the same time so much of the while the Knicks were a bad matchup for the Cavs last year totally like so much of that failure felt like man versus self you know like the Jared Allen comments about Mm. the lights being too bright the two star players Darius and and Donovan or the two star ball handlers I should say having just uncharacteristically Mm -hmm. bad offensive series for five games which of course is related Mm. to the lack of spacing that they had and the Cavs have made a ton of moves and discovered, turned over a few rocks, found Sam Merrill to help 
you know, unglue those driving lanes. That's part of it. But like, that's kind of, that's the whole thing. That's why last year was so disappointing. And that's why I think even some of the most optimistic Cavs fan, there's this little voice in the back of their head, but like saying, yeah, but remember, Mm -hmm. remember last year and Darius's, Darius's jump shot kind of left him. And remember, yeah, remember how bad that stuff sticks with you. It, it sticks with you. So it's I get I get what you're saying about matchups, but yeah. a lot of it is just like, are you gonna be able to rise the occasion? So part of the reason it feels like you mentioned Miami. Part of the reason it feels almost at this point that we have to say just out of reputation, oh, you don't want to see them, but like, do you really not want to see them? They're playing terribly. Sure. Part of the reason that is is because they right. rise to the occasion every single time. That's part of it. They've done it. Yeah, they've done That's, it. So okay. So I think I think there's an interesting point that you bring up when it comes to the Knicks series, because you're right. Um, but like in that series against the Knicks, when, when New York exploited the Cavs weaknesses, JB Bickerstaff and the Cavs had nothing else to go to, right? It's not like they could change their offense from predictable high pick and roll and just start like posting up Jared Allen or playing through Evan Mobley or going to four shooter lineups because they just weren't equipped with the personnel to make those schematic changes on the fly. You know what I'm saying? And at some point, JB just looked at at all of his options and said, I got to try and pick the best of these bad options. Now it's different, right? If the Cavs want to play big, they can play big. If they want to play small, they can play small. And they can be effective in both realms. If they want to play fast, they can do that. If they want to play slow, they can do that. If they want to win inside, they have shown that they can do that. If they want to win outside, they have enough shooting to do that. They don't have to go predominantly high pick and roll stuff because they have found different guys that can create off ball movement and triggers. Max Struess, Sam Merrill, even Darius Garland can play off ball and create some of those triggers as well. They can run their offense through in a better way, in a more productive way, through Jared Allen and Evan Mobley because those guys are better, because Evan Mobley has evolved, because Jared has become a better passer. And again, I know all of this is under the umbrella of, we've only seen this in the regular season. Let's see it in the playoffs. Well, we can't judge what's going to happen in the playoffs, and we can't assume that all of these things that we see in the regular season right now are just not going to work in the playoffs. At the very least, there are more options for J.B. Bickerstaff when he runs into problems. And it can be a chess game. And if he's going up against some of these great tacticians in the NBA, we're going to have a better sense of how J.B. Bickerstaff matches up because he's got more moves that he can actually go to because of the personnel changes that the Cavs made this offseason and because of this style that they have found offensively, which has basically just shredded opposing defenses. Um, Very few teams have had an answer for what the Cavs have been able to do on the offensive end of the floor. Um, And that creates a little bit more excitement. And I think that creates a little bit more hope that when teams try to game plan to take away what it is the Cavs do best – what it is the Cavs like to do, they actually have a counter for that this year. It's not just the chess. It's not just the chess master, the chess players, the chess pieces. It's if, if right. JB Bickerstaff last year turned to his bench, 
He's got a couple, a bunch of pawns sitting over. I don't play a lot of chess, so this chess, this chess yeah, board go off the rails at any moment. But <laughs> I think pawns are the small guys. I'm pretty sure. Now we got a few more. We got a few more knights. Knights, knights can move differently than pawns. I don't know exactly how, I think but we got some guys too, who yeah. who do some different things. Bishops can exactly yep. got some knights, some bishops, and as we we already know, they've got a couple of of kings and queens out there as well. So okay, we we've, we've kind of established where the Cavs stand, and we established where they want to go. And this is, and this is probably the mm-hmm. hardest part because the regular season is so different than the playoffs. But I'm trying. I want to get at. Before we go, how do they get there? Over the last 29 games, Chris, what do you need to see? What can we see? Is there anything we can see from the Cavs that will convince you they're ready for that 16-game season? No, I don't think there's anything that we can see because I don't think think their proving ground comes in February or March. Um, Their proving ground comes in April and May. And that's what we felt like coming into this season. Um, at the very least, we've seen enough glimpses of, of how different they are, how different they appear to be, how different they operate. And now the question is whether they can carry that over into the postseason. So to me, honestly, I don't think there's anything, Jimmy, that can happen for the remainder of February or March that is going to change my perception of this team and what they're capable of, unless they have a significant injury that is going to carry over into the postseason that could prevent them from being the team um, that that they think they can be, that some people believe that they are. Um, so it's all about showing it in the postseason. Well, it's, so it can't get better. It can, can only get worse for the rest of the regular season. But I, I think there I mean, are is there some, anything that you at think the very you least. can see? No, I'm I'm with you. It's 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 a prove it thing to me at this point. I do think there are some wrinkles they can iron out. Like who if if it's a if they want to go to the, into the playoffs and eventually it's going to be a four round one. Like they're going to close with one of the two bigs. Could they could they figure out mm-hmm. which of those guys works better in against? Uh, it's maybe it's not an all the time thing. Like which which is the better yeah. Evan Mobley for a round one matchup? Which is the better Jared Allen for a round one matchup? Um, mm-hmm. in crunch time, I think just again the, the Darius Donovan fit or misfit has been overstated, but just getting Darius reacclimated and and get because Don yeah. it's been there's been no questions recently. It's just give Donovan the ball when we need something. Get get that get that delicate dance right. looking a little smoother, looking better, looking like it did during the the peak of last regular season. I think that can help, and I think to your point. Mm-hmm. You know, you have so much optionality at this point, all the different chess pieces, but like, I don't know, find, find eight that you like the best, right? Like if it's, yeah. I think for specifically the Sam Merrill card is always going to be there as, as the, as the dead eye mm-hmm. shooter. And if, you know, if Okoro's missing or pa- or even worse, passing up open threes, if Dean Wade starts to lose confidence in that jumper, um, that's, that's maybe more of a break glass in case of emergency, or maybe, maybe it's not like yeah. figure, I, figuring out these, like the, the jam at the wing rotation, they've have so a, a good problem to have there right now that would help, but I, I'm with you. It's, there's not really a ton that the rest of this season can teach us, teach us about where they're going to end up in the end. It's, it's going to have to bear out over the course of the 16 game season. Um, so right, real you, quick, I, that was kind of a depressing rank... note to end, end on. Go ahead. If you had to rank the Eastern Conference contenders in order, 
how would you rank it right now? I mean, it's Boston one with a bullet, right? Despite the the obvious crunch time offensive issues that they have been through too many yeah, battles. They're just on a different level than everybody so, else. Too good of a defensive team, so on and so forth. <laughs> I, Milwaukee is too, I guess. I'm with you. I have so many concerns about their defense, but Dame and Giannis are, are proven playoff heroes. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can put Philly third anymore. I just don't trust Embiid's health. And I think they're probably they're they're their eyes should probably be on next season more than it is this year at this point. And now we're now we're doing the Cavs next conversation again. And <laughs> I, I and I'm kind of in the same place where I was with it last year going into that series. It's just like, well, I think the Cavs have more firepower and I think that yeah. they should win, but then they got embarrassed in five games last year. So, yeah. I mean, I think just based on what I have seen, you have to give the Knicks a slight edge there until the Cavs prove otherwise. So I think it's a it's kind of a sliding scale. I would put the Cavs at four right now, but could totally see them being two. Could totally see them being two. What, what about you? Where do you see I think that? That's, I think that's a fair way to look at it. I, I as well um, see it the same way. I, I just, to me, there are always tiers within conferences. And I think at this point, based on the evidence in front of us, Boston is on its own tier. Boston's at the top of the Eastern Conference. And then it's kind of like a jumbled mess, if we're being honest, with Cleveland, Milwaukee, New York, Philly, with the asterisk of what's going to happen with Embiid. Um, I certainly do not believe that Indiana is on that same tier, but I think the Cavs are a second tier team in the Eastern conference with enough upside and enough ability um, to come together in the second half of the season. Like there are things internally that they're probably going to figure out about themselves that could make them set up um, to be one of these teams that, that peaks and is playing its best basketball going into the postseason. Evan Mobley is going to get more comfortable within this offense. Darius and Donovan are going to get more reps together. I think J.B. Bickerstaff is going to find um, more answers when it comes to his every night rotation. Um, Isaac Okoro could get more and more confident as the season progresses if he continues to knock down those open shots when opponents disrespect him. So I just think the Cavs are the kind of team that is currently constructed um, to get better and better as the season goes on. And I, I don't think... And it sounds weird to say this because they've been so great over the last six weeks. They've been one of the best teams um, in the entire NBA for a six-week stretch, which is a very, very long time in the NBA. But, like, I think there are reasons to believe, Jimmy, that we haven't seen the best version of the Cavs yet. And they could get even better going into the postseason. So I think that that just makes it interesting for them that to me they're built and they're equipped and they've got the upside to 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 be better than than maybe what people perceive them to be at this moment because i think there's a perception still based on what happened in last year's playoff series against the Knicks that okay the cavs are a great regular season team but they're not built um for the playoffs and and, and i think and I think that's a fair way to look at it, given everything that happened um, last April. But but I 
there's just something about them that makes me believe that they're one of the teams in the Eastern Conference in that second tier that can make a legitimate run at this thing. I'm with you, and I think it's a, it's a talent conversation. That's so much. Much of the playoffs is about schematics and matchups. It's also just like who's got the dudes, right? And the Cavs have, yeah, between Donovan and Darius. Like as fun as the Donovan, the Donovan's recent spree was during the during the impressive stretch they've been on recently. The playoffs, you need a multi-engine offense. That's just a fact because teams will right. send two at the ball right. and take Donovan completely out of the game. Someone else has to make plays, and one of the big men. Whether it's you know Mobley's probably a little bit more advanced playmaker than Jared Allen right now. You know, you need a tertiary playmaker as well. So that's I think that's where that comes yep. from. Like the, the the on paper, and you're seeing it bear on the stats right now. Their top four, if you want to get real caveman about it, is as about as good as any other than again, other than Boston, about as good as any yep. other top four that's going in the East right now. I mean, Damon Giannis is a tier above as a top two, but their three and four don't are not are not quite as accomplished as as Mobley and Jared Allen. Okay, I, I feel like we've we've spent a lot of this podcast sort of picking apart what's been a really fun stretch of Cavs basketball. So I want to end on a, on a positive mm-hmm. note here. Um, the Cavs okay. Cavs converted Craig Porter's two way contract into a four year, uh, eight million dollar deal uh, earlier this week. I believe it's partially guaranteed next year and then non guaranteed. After that, it's, it's a great story. I mean, huge win for Craig Porter, a huge win for the Cavs and organization for identifying him during the draft process and, and turning yep. him into a rotation piece. Beyond the fact that it feels it's a feel good story, what is the significance yeah. of the Craig Porter success? I think it's more significant than than people are making it seem. And and look, here's the thing: um, he hasn't gotten any playing time whatsoever since Darius Garland and Evan Mobley came back. And I think there's an understanding of where he ranks on this hierarchy. You know, when this team is at full strength, Craig Porter Jr. is not going to play meaningful minutes. Um, But it's somebody that this organization has found that J.B. Bickerstaff has put trust in. When things happen, when things are um, going the wrong way in terms of injury, foul trouble, whatever the case may be, it's somebody else that, that JB knows he can go to and has some kind of understanding of what he's going to get from him on the court. A level of steadiness, right? A level of know-how in terms of how to run a team, an ability to get into the paint, um, not being rattled by anything. Even when he first got an opportunity early in the season, when nobody thought he was ready to play meaningful minutes in the NBA and he should have been in the G League, he was unfazed. There was nothing that was bothering him. Teams weren't speeding him up. Um, so I think that is important. But but I think in the bigger picture, it's this. When you're talking about the salary cap, and I don't want to get all nerdy, but that's a big part of this whole thing. You're talking about the salary cap and you're talking about roster construction. Like, dude, you can't pay everybody 20 to $30 million and, and field a competitive team. It's very, very difficult. Um, The Cavs have a lot of high-priced players, Jimmy. They do. Donovan Mitchell is pricey. Darius Garland has the biggest frigging contract in franchise history. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Um, Jared Allen makes a lot of money, and Evan Mobley is going to be due for a massive pay raise because you don't always pay guys for what they do. 
you pay them for what you believe they can become and, and what you believe they're going to do in the future. And the Cavs believe that Evan Mobley has all-stars and MVP um, opportunities in his future. So he's going to get paid too. And Max Struess has a pretty high contract as well. So the point is that you have to find guys around the margins that are on team-friendly deals that allow you to have some salary flexibility, some optionality, and some wiggle room within the salary cap that you're not all of a sudden making all these decisions based on financial circumstances, or you have to make trades or cuts or things along those lines just to keep the core of your roster together. Um, The Cavs are in a better place from a financial standpoint moving into the future because they have playable dudes on team-friendly contracts that are not going to hamstring them from making other moves that they ultimately want to make. And if you can have guys that could theoretically be in your nightly rotation um, that can give you those kinds of minutes on those contracts, you're going to be able to afford the higher price guys the way that the Cavs have. And it's the same thing when it comes to Dean Wade. It's the same thing when it comes to Sam Merrill. Like those guys on the contracts that they're on, on this team that has high-priced talent at the top, it it helps balance the books. And it's a really, really important find for this organization to have potentially a future backup point guard that isn't making 8 to $10 million a year. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Chris. It may sound, it may sound overly simplistic to say, hey, basketball players, they're not just tall, they're rich. But it's true. I mean, these guys get paid a lot of money, and the these these fines between the margins are the lifebloods of teams that sustain success. Because it's not just the Cavs. The Cavs are expensive, and they're they're expensive, and the Cavs are willing to pay them all this money because they're also good, right? So that means, and if you're good, that means you are not going to pick very high. And it feels like we are explaining how the NBA works a little bit right now, but. That's why this Craig Porter thing is is so important. It's not it's not just Craig Porter. There's a trend here, right? Like Craig Porter has emerged this year. Sam Merrill has emerged this year. You you mentioned yep. Dean Wade as a as a later find that they have. And I mean, I even like the. I'm not ready to declare the Imani Bates draft pick a success yet. I know he's tearing up the G League, <laughs> but like I like the thinking right. there. It's like, hey, this is a guy right. that we can identify a skill that may translate to the NBA. Second round picks, mm-hmm. none of them work out anyways. Might as well. So I think to your point, it's it seems like a small thing. And Craig Porter, who by the way, I think he's just a Hooper's Hooper. Like that uh, guys who can't shoot and and make it work in the NBA. I always am impressed by them. It seems like he just has just all the classic has a great feel for the game and uh, is, is crafty with the ball in his hands. Knows looks like he belongs on any court in in the world. I love right. him. I love watching him when he does get opportunities. He's not going to be a part of this big picture playoff. Um, determination that we're trying to make about the Cavs right now, but he might be a reliable put backup point guard within the next two or three years, and that's money that the Cavs don't have to spend in free agency or spend on a first round draft pick. Like this stuff, while small, matters big time. I think I think you're right to you're right to identify that stuff. Yeah, I mean that's how the Cavs view him, Jimmy, and and we'll see if they're right. But the Cavs view Craig Porter Jr. as the backup point guard of the future the guy who's going to be behind Darius Garland. Um, Obviously they have Ty Jerome on this roster too, who they like. He's played less than 20 minutes total because he's been dealing with a severe ankle injury. 
Um, and, and who knows what he's going to give them the rest of the year, who knows what he's going to give them into the future. Um, but having somebody like Craig, it allows them to go this off season saying, you know what, we feel good enough about our point guard spot. So let's turn our attention to other positions or something along those lines. We feel good. I think that's an overarching, uh, way to wrap up this podcast. We feel good about the Cavs. I'm not sure what's going to happen in the big picture, but we, we feel pretty good right now. The vibes are pretty good. I appreciate everyone for listening today. Thank you to Chris. Uh, shout out to Ethan, who's on vacation. And we will be back uh, ahead of the, the second half of the season to, to see what's going on with the Cavs next.